Good morning. You can have a seat. We're so glad that you're here to worship our God with us today. Uh, it's going to be a great day in God's house. Last week, I just want to mention it was our 15th anniversary. It was an awesome day of celebration. Uh, so glad so many of you were here for that. If you didn't uh, get a t-shirt, they're in the cafe, so uh, grab a free t-shirt on us. Uh, we'd love for you to grab one of those on the way out. I also want to make mention of our connection card. If you would fill that out, it's an opportunity to respond to how God speaks to you today. Uh, it's also an opportunity to put prayer requests. We pray. Um, we pray for the requests you put on here, and uh, our prayer team's praying, our elders will pray. Uh, and speaking of which, I want to just make mention, we're going to do the offering a little earlier than normal, so you guys, if you want to come forward, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, but we're going to pray for our offering now, which is strange for us. If you need to get that prepared, your gift, you can do that. Uh, you can put this card in the basket that's on the way out after the service. We're going to take up the offering in just a second. But when we're talking about prayer, I want to mention someone to you. We don't normally do this, but... Um, uh, Vicki O'Hara, one of our members, her son is critical uh, in the hospital, uh, really fighting for his life in Arizona. She flew out there last night, and I just said, our church will pray for you today. So I want all of us to pray that God would show up in that hotel, uh, hospital room and heal him, and uh, Lord, that he, he'd be healed and uh, give, give her peace. So let's, let's pray for our offering. Let's pray for him. Father, we lift up to you today, Michael. God, believing that you can rescue those from the, from the edge of death. God, you can bring him back. And I pray that your miraculous healing power would be in that room and you'd bring healing. God, I pray you'd meet them there today. God, you'd provide comfort for Vicki like nothing else can. And God, that you'd get every ounce of glory from it. God, we thank you that the, your church is alive and well in a time where things seem crazy. There is a rock on which we stand, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he has empowered his church to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. So, Father, that's why we give today, that you would transform people's lives in this community and around the world. Lord, would you bless the gift and the giver now as we give? Would you get the glory in that in Jesus' name? Amen. they're finishing up, I wanted to mention, we just have one sort of big announcement coming up. We're doing a Harvest Hoopla. How's that for a name? Harvest Hoopla on the 23rd. It's a fall festival type event, a trunk or treating type event with carnival games and prizes and all that good stuff. And we want you to come and if you want to decorate a trunk and then give out candy, that you would do that. And we also want you to invite a friend. So if you, you should have one of those in your program. If you'll invite somebody you know to come and join you and be a part of that day, we want to we wanna, uh, bless our community with this event. It's not for us, it's for them. In fact, uh, if you get on social media, if you're not following us in any of these, you can do so. I believe we have a new league love for you to do for, uh, for this event, and you can scroll down. And what I'd love for you to do, there it is right there on Facebook. If you'll just share that on whatever platform you're on, if you'll just share that and say, hey, join us, we'd love for you to come. Uh, if we can all, I'm giving you permission to get on your phones, come on. 
Just put it down later. But uh, get on it now. And, uh, and if you'll share that, man, that'll get the buzz going. That'll get the word out that we want to minister at our, our church uh, for our community that way. So thanks for doing that. Thank you, buddy. Isn't that good? You always sound cooler with music playing. <laughs> Listen, we started a series last week on worship. Because we said if our church is about anything in the last 15 years, it has been about pointing people to God. And that's what worship is all about, pointing our attention and our affection to the one, the only one, the one audience, the one worthy of praise, and that is the God himself, that there's this eternal song going about in heaven that says, holy, holy, holy. And when we worship God, whether it's here or wherever we are, that we do so in joining in this eternal praise and worship of God. And so uh, we want to just add to that first uh, message today with, uh, with the idea about the place of worship. The place of worship. Where is it that we are to worship? If I was to ask most of you, hey, where are we supposed to worship? I think you would say, hey, we're supposed to worship in church. But I also hope you would say, we're supposed to worship God anywhere and everywhere that that, that our lifestyles are to reflect a life of worship. And that you and I, if we're going to be followers of Christ, that we should have scripted, planned times of worship, and that we should have just impromptu, spont spontaneous opportunities of worship to God. And, and so we're going to talk about that today. I want to share an experience I had years ago. Uh, where was, I was on a retreat with some guys. We were uh, doing a discipleship group together, and we were camping up near Helen, and we were roughing it up on the mountaintop. And we came down to Helen and, and got cleaned up and ate, and we're hanging out. And one guy that was way more spiritual to me. They said, you know, let's pray. We were sitting in a gazebo right above Helen. And there's a little park right there by Helen. And there's a gazebo right on the corner. You drive right by it if you go through Helen. And he said, why don't we pray together? And I said, yeah, that's, that's great. Let's pray. And so we're praying. And then something really amazing happened. We were praying. And, and then all of a sudden, the guy praying next to me starts confessing his sin and, and just telling God that he's deficient and how holy and worthy God was. And, and he just, before I knew it, boom, he was on the ground in praise and worship and prayer before God. And, and I'm not sure what happened to the rest of us, but pretty soon we were all praising God and confessing our sin. And we all, it had to look really strange if anybody walked by, we we're all laying on the ground in worship of God. Totally unplanned. He just showed up when we prayed. And um, it was an incredible experience in my life. And I'll be honest with you, from that day forward, there was times I would say, God, can I experience you in that way again? I want, I want to experience that again. Would you, would you meet me like that again? And I can tell you, he never has replicated that experience. And what I learned from that is this, God can show up where he wants to show up. Amen. But you and I are not to chase an experience with God. We are to chase God. We are to chase God in our worship of him. We are to chase God in our devotion to him. We are to chase God in giving him the praise to do his name. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, that we would be people that worship God in spirit and in truth, that you and I would be people that learn to give our hearts holy and undivided in worship. To God, And we're going to be in uh, John chapter 4 today. We'll look at a passage that most people, when they teach this passage, they talk to, teach it in terms of evangelism and how we are to be people that are sharing our faith with other people. And, and believe me, that's a great way to teach this passage. I want to look at it through the lens of worship. 
because we learn a lot about worship from Jesus who knows everything there is to know about worship. So uh, in the beginning of that chapter, it said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. I want to show you a map here of, of uh, Israel in that time, and you guys are going to struggle with this. Um, sorry about that. These guys are the special chosen people. You guys are, I'm just kidding. I'll come over there in a minute. But I want to show you, uh, Jesus was in Judea, and he was going to travel up to Galilee where he was from. And what what's typically would happen for the Jewish people is they would start in Jerusalem, and they would travel down the mountain to Jericho. They would travel up the River Jordan Valley, and then they'd come climb back up the mountain into Galilee. That's how they did it. And the reason they did it is they were trying to avoid what? Samaria. They, they disliked the people so much they would go out of their way to avoid them at all costs. And so when Jesus said, I, wanna, I had to go through Samaria, it wasn't a statement of travel. Uh, he had to actually go through you know, uh, mountains and all kinds of stuff. When he said, I had to go through, go to Samaria... It's because he had a divine encounter with a woman at a well that he went ahead. There was a person that he wanted to meet for the purpose of drawing them into faith with God. And so he meets this woman at a well, and he, and he initiates a conversation. He was always looking to initiate conversations to try to reach her so she would understand who he was and, and what he's about to do for her and how he could have faith and life through Jesus. And so he starts this conversation. He quickly turns it to spiritual things. And she gets a little uncomfortable. And then in verse 19, she says this, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors, the Samaritans, worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's saying, listen, we just probably need to agree to disagree when it comes to spiritual things because I'm a Samaritan and obviously you're a Jewish rabbi perhaps. And so uh, we just, we're probably not going to see things eye to eye. And so Jesus moves on. No. Not so much. Pushing him off and trying to just doesn't give up. He doesn't. He isn't uh, deterred by her for her her brushing him off and trying to just throw up a soak, smoke screen. He sees the smoke screen for what it is, and he says, "Listen, I'm going to keep pushing in this conversation. I'm not going to just let it go. I'm going to be willing to offend you because what I have to say matters so much." And the reality is he was getting a little bit close to home, and so she's trying to brush him off before he, he got too close to the heart. And the argument she brings up that, hey, we're Samaritans and we worship God on this mountain, and you Jews are Jews and you worship God on this other mountain, is a rehash of an age-old argument that the Jews and the Samaritans had with one another. It goes back hundreds of years because the Samaritans believed that the place that they were to worship God was on Mount Gerizim, Mount Gerizim. In fact, hey, I'll throw you guys a bone. I'll show you these two mountains. They said, listen, we're supposed to worship God on Mount Gerizim, and, and you guys say you're supposed to worship God on Mount Moriah where Jerusalem is built, and so we just have in, in, irreconcilable differences, and we're just not going to be able to get along. Now, what's interesting is the... the um, the Samaritans actually had some reasons to believe what they believed about where they should worship God. In fact, they believed that Moses himself had authorized worship where they worshiped 
um, instead of where the Jews do. In fact, I want to show you uh, Deuteronomy 27. It says this. Moses says, and when you have crossed the Jordan, set up these stones on Mount Ebal. You see how it says Mount Ebal there? Go back to the map just a second. Mount Gerizim's here. Right across the valley is Mount Ebal. You and I are reading the Jewish version of the Old Testament here, right? It says Mount Ebal, but this version of that verse actually says Mount, guess what? Gerizim. One of them is right. One of them is wrong. And many scholars believe, this is crazy, but many scholars believe the Jewish people changed the name of the mountain in their text because they so hated the Samaritan people that they couldn't stand to think that their temple was built where this altar in Deuteronomy 27, let me finish the verse where it was built because he said in that verse, set up stones on Mount Ebal as I command you today and coat them with plaster. Build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. In fact, in Deuteronomy 12, God promised the, the Jewish people that when they came into the promised land hundreds of years ago, that he was going to set up on this, this place a dwelling place. There's going to be a certain place where his presence was going to be known and that the people could come and worship him and he would reside there and they could encounter the living God. The Jews said that was in Jerusalem. The Samaritans said, no, 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 it's Mount Gerizim. And then Jesus gets his turn. This is what he says. He says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus says a mouthful there in those few statements about worship. And so we're going to unpack what it means to be people that, that worship God in spirit and truth, that you and I would be people that worship God in a way that pleases him. Because if God is our audience, there's one thing for sure. It's not so much about what we think of worship. It's what he thinks of worship that matters. And so let's look at what he says. The first thing I want you to notice is Jesus doesn't bite on the semantics. He's, he's, he's not concerned about what she's concerned about. And he says, listen, the location of your worship doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're talking about this mountain or that mountain. Neither mountain is actually the right place of worship. You want to know what? The right place of worship isn't a place at all. The right place of worship isn't a place at all. That's what Jesus is saying. You and I show up here to worship, and we, we should love worshiping in this place. And we, you and I should show up for small group and, and love the fellowship and the prayer and the worship we do with other believers. But the reality is we don't have to go to a place to worship God. We are, we are actually the temple of the living God in Christ Jesus, that you and I have been the place where his spirit resides, and the living God lives in us. That means wherever our feet go, Go, that we are the temple in a place where he can be worshipped. And that means when we're at home, we can worship. Anybody in the shower do their worship in the shower? You wouldn't admit it here. 
how many of you just, you get, wor- you get so excited about worshiping God, there's music playing or, or thought hits you and you're driving down the road and you just start worshiping God. And if you're on the interstate, you know, the people see the tears and the snot and everything, it's gross, but you just, you don't care because you're worshiping God because there's no run white, right place to worship him. I can tell you my new favorite place to worship these days has been the mower. I love worshiping him on the mower. And listen, you've all heard your neighbor mowing four doors down, and they've got music. They're just listening to whatever, and they're singing, and you hear them singing. You're like, dude, I can hear you. <laughs> but listen, that, I know that's me on the mower, and I really don't care that my neighbors can hear me because I'm praising God's name, and if they hear it, bless God, maybe it'll, maybe it'll help them. You and I are the temple of the living God. If we are in Christ Jesus, we are his temple. So it's not about a location. I also want you to know it means it's not about a style. It's not about a style. That's a great reminder for us who think that we might be doing it right and other people might be doing it wrong. We never have that thought, do we? That the way we do worship is the right worship and our, our theology is right and everyone else is wrong and our, our methods are right and everybody else is wrong and, and all these things that we try to, to, to put under style. You know, God never prescribes a style of worship in the scriptures. You think, that's, that's kind of strange. Why wouldn't he prescribe a style? I think it's actually genius. It's genius that God doesn't prescribe a style. You know what? In the church, we have gone through lots of different arguments about style. If you've been in church for a while, see if you recognize any of these. We were arguing at one point whether we should worship God from a hymnal or the words on the screen. How many of you remember that one? That was, that was big. I mean, that, that, that's almost the Bible, the, the hymnal. You can't put that on the shelf. And then we argued about, should we worship with a piano and an organ or a a guitar? Y'all remember that one? That was a big one. That was a lot of fun. Yep, lost some good friends. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, We have argued about this style and that style and this approach and that approach and that I'm right and that's Wrong, And what God says is the style doesn't really matter at all. That the right place of worship isn't about a preference. I want to say that again. That the worship, that the right place of worship has nothing to do with preference. You know, it takes all kinds of churches with all kinds of style to minister to all kinds of people. Can I get an amen on that? It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. It takes all kinds of churches with all kinds of styles to do God's work to reach a, such a vast array of people in our context. So we've chosen our style not to be cool. We've chosen our style because here's what I believe. This is what we believe at Crossroads. We believe that our musical style and our, and our teaching style, if somebody is far from God, that they can access it, that it, that it sort of makes sense to them, that the style of music that we play on Sunday sort of sounds like the music they would listen to on the radio on Monday. And if somebody that's far from God and doesn't have a large church background can come here and feel like, hey, this sort of sounds like what I'm used to and the messages are relatable and that they it would not only resonate with that person, but someone who's been following with Christ for years and years and years, then we've hit our target. Then we've hit our target.
So several years ago, I had a family of this church who, awesome folks, loved the Lord, served him faithfully here, was a part of a small group, was a big part of our church family. And I could tell there was some tension, and so I could tell there were some things going on. And, and so I called up one day, and I said, hey, I could tell there's something going on, there's something wrong. And they said, yeah, I think we're going to have to leave Crossroads. And I said, well, tell me about that. What's going on? And they said, well, it's the music style. I said, okay. And they said, we just want to hear Southern gospel music on Sunday morning. I said, Okay. I said, but can I just explain to you why we do what we do? And I told her exactly what I just told you guys, that, hey, if what we do helps people that are far from God come to know God and, and it's part of the mission and they can find Christ and begin to grow and become a disciple of his, isn't it worth it? Even if you don't like the style so much, wouldn't it be worth it if we could see that happen over and over and over again? And I laid that out for her because I knew they were mature people. And you know what they said back? I just want my Southern gospel music. And they left. So, here's what I know. That's not for me to judge, but I can tell you why we do what we do here. We're doing it because we want lost people to find Jesus. We want new believers to come and grow with Jesus. We want mature believers to be challenged to walk, keep walking and serving and making a difference for Jesus. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I know for a fact it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. That means there's not, that this church or no church is going to appeal to every person, and we got to be okay with that. There has only been one church that I can find in Scripture that, that the preferences didn't matter, and it was Acts chapter 2. And those people worshiped God, and I don't know what kind of style they had, but nobody was worried about style or preference. They were locked in to Jesus and his mission. Today, this world is different. Let's just be honest. We are, we are, we are going to find people and lose people based on our style. It's the world we live in. That's why I believe something with a strong conviction that we need more and more churches. We need more and more churches, but not just any kind of church. We need more and more Bible-believing churches that this is the authority and this is what they teach from and this is how they run the church and this is how they, they encourage the family and this is the standard on which we live by and this says what is holy and this is what is right and wrong, that there be Bible-believing churches. What do you guys think? Come on, we can do better than that. What do y'all think? Okay. Uh, I also believe that not only we need Bible-believing churches, we need good news-sharing churches, that we don't just talk about how we grow, that we are constantly inviting people who might be far from God to hear the good news that Jesus Christ came as a, as a substitution for their sin and was willing to lay in his life, that those who come to him humbly and ask for his forgiveness and turn from their sin and to turn to Jesus Christ, they will find it in him and they'll believe the good news and their life would be changed for now and eternity. You guys think we need churches like that? Come on. Do you think we need churches like that? All right. Bible believing, good news sharing, 
disciple-making churches. What do I mean by that? That, listen, I, I want to be honest with you. We, we have this thing called My Road Trip, and what we're saying is we want you to come and worship, and we want you to come and get involved, but we want you to go on a journey that all of us are in process, and all of us are growing to become more and more devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and through small groups and life on life and discipleship and getting in the Word and praying with each other, that God will do a refining work in our life, and we'll be different than we were this year next year because we're all in process becoming more like Jesus Christ. Let me just ask you, do you think we need more Bible-believing, good news-sharing, disciple-making churches? All right, that's good enough. I do. In fact, that's part of the reason we started, helped start Refuge Church in Pentecost two years ago. Listen, they're a Bible-believing, good news-sharing, disciple-making church eight miles down the road. And the reason we helped that church start with 20-something people leaving here 22 years ago is because they're going to do that same thing in a different style. A different style. Their Sunday morning looks different than us, but the guts of who they are is exactly the same. That's why I believe we need more churches now, sooner, rather than later. Don't you agree? We need to be starting more churches, church. We've got to help others get going. See, I'm just going to be honest with you. I love our worship here. I enjoy every time I show up on Sunday. I, I, I feel like I'm engaging with the Lord, and, and I know the songs, and they're familiar to me, and I, and I love what we're doing. But I'm as serious as I can be. I hope one day I don't prefer it so much. And what I mean by that is when we're in our 50s and 60s and 70s and we're mature believers and we've been walking with God a long time and our music is our music, but there's other music that sounds like the 20-somethings like and, and it's really what they're into and it brings them closer to God, then we should decide that what they like is more important than what we like if it reaches them for Christ. Can I get an amen on that? Can we just agree that's the way it's going to be? All right, praise God. So we'll start Southern Gospel Music next week. <laughs> Don't even start it. I heard you. <laughs> uh, so it's not about the semantics. Secondly, I want you to see something that Jesus gives context for our worship. That if we're going to worship God the way he intended for us to worship, we need to have some context about, about what God's doing and what he's been doing in the world. If the place doesn't matter and the preference doesn't matter, knowing the story of God does matter. What do I mean? Jesus made a crazy statement in the, in the passage I read earlier, and maybe it jumped out on you. He said, he said salvation is from the Jews. What did he mean by that? Is, is he saying that the Jewish people are superior to the Samaritans and so they should feel inferior to them? Not at all. What he's saying is simply this, that God started a redemptive story when he picked out a man named Abraham. And Abraham uh, became a nation and that God chose, if he was going to tell this story of redemption and salvation for a lost world, that he started with the Jews. And his plan was for that one man, for a nation to be born, that his Messiah, the Savior, would come and that they would be a light to the rest of the world, to all the nations, that all the world may know him. And so he said, salvation's from the Jews. 
It's describing this thing that God did, the actions that he took to save his people from the condemnation that their sins deserved. It wasn't the worship in Jerusalem that was going to do it. It wasn't the worship in Samaria that was going to do it. It isn't just showing up for church that's going to do it, that God is going to have to intervene in the lives of people and provide a Savior who would come and rescue humanity from their sin, that if they turn to Jesus Christ, they can find life in his name. That's the story of God. And he said, when I say the words redemption and salvation, here's all I'm saying, that God and his son Jesus Christ came to rescue us from the sins that we could not pay for, that Jesus Christ came to take the shame and condemnation of our sin that we couldn't deal with, that Jesus Christ came, that he alone could be the one sacrifice that would please a holy God, that by choosing life in Christ and turning our life over to him, that we can have life in his name. And that is the story of God. And the more we know about that story, the more we understand God in that context, the more we understand the miraculous way he worked through history, the more we understand his word, the more we will know how to worship him. Here's what I'm saying. The right place to worship is always grounded in understanding. It's always grounded in understanding. See, the Samaritans, they only had five books in their Bible. I got this wrong in the first service. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They only had five books. There was a limited understanding of who God was. And so they based their worship of God on just those five books. And they didn't understand him like the Jews did, who had 34 more Old Testament books. They had a greater and broader understanding of who this God really was. They understood the patience of God and how he worked with, with Jonah and he would put him in the belly of a fish so that he could give him a second chance. They understood the, the patience of God and the love of God who would rescue Daniel from the lion's den and deliver him and, and give him life. They understood the God who would rescue Israel from their enemies. They would understand the love of God and the story of Joel and the redemption that he tells in that story. He would understand how God was patient with his people time and time again. And so when he said salvation is from the Jews, he's saying, listen, Samaritans, you're standing on this little island of understanding. You've only got this little rock to snow on when our God is a vast continent of, of love and knowledge and that you can know him in so much broader ways and yet you're confining how you worship him by how little you know of him. Guys, can I tell you, it's bad today. We have 66 books of love letters that God has written. He says, I want to I show you my fullness. We're going to know him in full one day, but as best as we can know him today, through his word and through his son, there's a vast continent that we can know God, and yet we know so little of him in his word. And I believe this with all my heart. Our worship lacks conviction, passion, and heartfelt gratitude because we know God so little. We don't know this love letter he's written us like we should. We, we should be awed every day when he reveals something new about his character and his nature and his love and his patience and his kindness to us through his word. And yet we fail to know him in that way because this book is an alien and stranger to us. It 
And so what do we have to worship God? This little island of, of life experiences and trying to interpret how God's worked in my life and these little cliches I've picked up on Christian radio. And, and that's the little bitty island I have to worship him from. When God says, listen, I want to set you on a continent. Come know me in my word. Come dig into me. Know who I am. Because the more you know me, the more you'll love me. And the more you love me, the more you'll want to worship me. And the more you want to worship me, the more you'll learn how to worship me, that your hearts would burn for me, the living God. Get to know me. Get to know me in my word. That's the context of worship, guys. How can we worship a God we don't really know? Can't do it. It's so incomplete. God says, come to know me. Thirdly, I want you to see that Jesus gives the necessary components or ingredients for worship. Do you realize we can worship God without a preacher up here? It's true. We can worship without instruments. We can worship without vocalists. There's only two absolutely got to have ingredients when it comes to worship. And Jesus said, those who will worship me will worship me with spirit and in truth. Those are the two bottom line gotta have ingredients to worship and they go hand in hand but I want to try to tackle them separately and then bring them together so let's talk about what does it mean to worship God in truth it's the idea where we posture our mind to dwell on the truths of God listen when we hear a prayer or we sing a song we don't just repeat the words we don't just repeat them we don't just say them but we actually listen agree with them we agree with them. We think about what's being said, and we agree with them. Thinking on God's word is actually the definition of meditation. You realize that? Meditation isn't emptying your mind. Biblical meditation is when we focus our mind on a truth of God, and we, like a diamond, look at it in all of its splendor, in all these different angles, and we go, wow, it's beautiful. That's what biblical meditation is. And God says, listen, when you hold up my truth, when you hold up me, you will never get exhausted of seeing all the different radiant beauty that I am as you think about me, as you meditate on my truth, as you meditate on who I am. And the more we know his truth and, and, and ponder it and think on it and agree with it and respond with it, it'll lead us to worship. Here's what I believe. The more you and I get to know God, the truth of God, who he is, the more we experience him in our life, the more ammunition we have for worship. Some of us got like a little pea shooter. God wants us to have a machine gun full, baby. I mean, just... Let it rip. Man, God, there's all these different and yet a brilliant I can praise you for. There's so much I know about you that is unbelievable and hard to explain and yet a brilliant and awesome. And we just are ripe and full with ammunition to worship God because we know his truth. We don't just know it, we've experienced it. How about in spirit? We worship in truth and in spirit. Now, this one has a little more uh, uh, different implications or different interpretations. And I looked at a bunch of different commentaries. And here's the best way I can sum up what it means to worship God in spirit. It is posturing of a person to be open to the interaction with the spirit of God. 
that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and that we open our lives up to him speaking to us. It's the opposite of walking in here to worship when we're in the flesh. What does that mean? When you and I are focused completely on ourselves, when you and I have sin unconfessed in our lives, when you and I have things like bitterness that are keeping us from God, you know the scripture Jesus said, listen, if you're coming to the altar and you realize somebody's got something against you, you leave your gift at the altar and you go and you make it right and then you come back and you can worship God completely and you could almost say in spirit. that our spirits need to be clean before God, that we need to be ready, prayed up, confessed up, eager and ready and excited to encounter the living God, that our spirit doesn't come here damaged, that comes here ready for an encounter with the living God because we have prepped it for that. Also means that we don't go through the motions of worship. When he says, worship me in spirit, that doesn't mean we just come to church because we're supposed to come to church or somebody asked me to come to church or I'm, I'm supposed to be here or I just checked that off. I did that today. Man, we come anticipating. We come excited. We come expectant. We come ready. We come willing and able to encounter the living God. You know when Jesus said how we're supposed to love God, he said in Matthew 22 that we would love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. You know how we're supposed to worship God? If we're going to worship him in spirit and truth with our heart and our soul and our mind. It's a whole person experience with God that we, we all not only agree intellectually and academically to the truths that we hear, but that it impacts us and hits us in our heart and it moves us and it stirs us and it calls out of us worship and response back to God and it hits us in our gut. And it challenges how we live and our, and our preconceived ideas and our attitudes and the actions and the habits of our life. And we walk away wanting to be different and changed because we've encountered the living God, heart, mind, and soul. Holy, expressing our love to God. Guys, when we, when we worship God, you know what he's worthy of? He's worthy of your mind. He's worthy of your heart. He's worthy of your soul. He says, when you come to me, bring it all to me. Are you down? Bring me, bring me that you're down. If you're mad, bring me that anger. If, you, if you're frustrated, bring that to me. If, if you're hurting, bring me your hurt. And wherever you are, I'll meet you. But don't come with part of yourself. There. To me. I'll meet you right there. I'm the living God. Guys, that's how we're to worship him. And I love how the story ends. I love this part. And during their conversation, Jesus really gets to the heart of, of, of where her heart is. And the woman says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. Jesus, Jesus had to be like, do you? Really? Would you recognize him? No. Um, uh, the, the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She was exactly right. She's like, there's this figure coming that God had prophesied, that, that he even told Abraham was coming. He's told us over and over is coming. This Savior, this Rescuer, this Christ, who is the one who is deliver us, that when he comes, he'll make sense of all this spiritual stuff. And Jesus said, you're absolutely right. I, the one speaking to you, I am he.
Jesus said, I'm right in front of you. I'm the Savior. I'm the Son of the living God. I am the Christ. And listen, I want you to understand something. The greatest act of worship that any of us could ever have is when we believe the truth that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, that he is the savior of the world and that he's actually your savior, that he, he rescues you and that you turn to him in faith. See, I don't know where you've been, whether it's self-righteousness on a mountain of worship or it's been in a valley of, of self-condemnation and sin, but God says, listen, you can turn from either one of those things and you turn to me, Jesus, the rescuer, and I'll rescue you from your sin. I'll deliver you from where you've been and I'll give you eternal life in me in a relationship with your heavenly father. That's why Christ came. So when you and I do that, when we've experienced that moment where Christ has become our Savior and our Lord, it means worship takes on a whole different meaning that every time we worship, we're just celebrating what God has already done for us, this unmovable faith that Jesus puts into our heart that can never be taken away. And it means you and I always have reason to worship. You take everything that's wrong in your life and you pile it in a basket. If you have Jesus Christ in your basket, I, in this other basket, I can tell you one thing, this basket weighs more than that basket. We always have reason to worship him. So guys, as we wrap this up, I want to just challenge you. How deep is your worship with God? Are you standing on an island of knowledge and longing to know him more? Can I challenge you to get to know our God in a personal way? And I want to just point your attention to a resource we have in our bookstore. If you don't have a plan of how you're meeting with God and, and reading his word and spending time with him, this is just a quick 30-day devotional to get you started. It's written by yours truly. And I don't get any money from it. So I uh, just uh, pick that up on the way out. If you're looking for something to start, that'd be a great place to start. Let's pray together. Father, the reality is we're all made to worship something. It could be a relationship we're in. It could be a relationship we want. It could be our success. It could be something really unhealthy for us. It could be something really good like our family, but they're getting our heart's attention and affection, and you're not. God, none of that's sufficient. And so, Father, I want to pray for the person in this room that is staring the reality in, the fa in their face that they need to acknowledge their worship belongs to you and to you alone. Nothing else is of greater importance than the God who loves them and sent his son, Jesus Christ, that they might be reconciled to you. They can start a relationship with you by turning from their self and their sin and turning to Christ. And saying in their mouth and in their heart, Jesus, you are the Son of God and you are the Christ. In fact, if that's where you are today and you want to surrender worship of your life over to God, start a relationship with Him, would you just, 
would you tell Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are, God in the flesh. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And today I'm turning to you, God, to forgive me and to lead me from this day forward. Father, for all of us, that we would not give our hearts to anything less than worship of you. And I pray now, God, for your people, that we would grow to know you more so we can worship you better. In fact, Father, I pray right now for this moment we have just a couple songs that we would be locked in, engaged, that we intend in these moments to come to worship you in spirit and in truth, God. that we begin to turn the diamond of your beauty and just get in awe of how awesome you are. God, would you lead our worship now? Would Would you get all the praise, God? Would you take center stage of our lives as we worship you in Jesus' name?